As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Dental Wealth Nation. And I am so excited about today because we're talking about a problem that could be lurking in your office. Uh, imagine walking in one day and that long-term office manager you've had or front desk person, all of a sudden you discover that they may have been stealing with you. What would be going through your mind? What would you be thinking? I know I wouldn't find that very pleasant. And that's why today is so important. You're going to know by the time we finish today, you're going to know why embezzlement is actually a bigger problem than you've ever imagined. You're going to have a new awareness of how to protect what you've worked so hard for from being unjustly taken from you. But most importantly of all, you're going to feel encouraged and you're going to know that there's a solution for this problem that could be happening in your office. And, and when it comes to helping dentists protect themselves from employee theft, there's no one better than David Harris. David Harris is dentistry's crime fighter. And what I really love about David is that he's got that hard job. He's got a difficult job of, of fielding those calls saying that office manager who's worked for me for 20 years, I think they're stealing. And as a trusted advisor, he gets to come in there and help you get back on your feet and get your feet back on your on the ground so that you can get back to doing what you love. David, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here, Tim. Uh, man, I mean, what what a what a crazy thing to 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 have happen, and and it's not a rare thing, is it? Embezzlement happens quite a bit, doesn't it? The best number I can give you is that about seventy percent of your audience, seven zero percent, will get hit sooner or later. Uh, that, that's seven out of ten dentists. That that that's huge. And maybe it's minor. You know, maybe yeah. it's somebody stealing um, pens from the the front desk or you know, rounding their hours up by 15 minutes or something like that. And maybe it's millions of dollars. Wow. And, and, and this is, you know, it's a widespread spread problem, but it's also pretty niche. How did you get started in, in, in dealing with this and, and really working with embezzlement, right? Who, who says, I want to go discover thieves? Well, I didn't. Um, and, and how I got here is a pretty good story. I would like to tell you that I had a vision, you know, I saw an opportunity and I went after it. Um, the, the truth was a lot more accidental than that. So it, it started in high school when the phone call came to my parents and the basic uh, gist of the phone call was it's time for David and the school to stop wasting each other's time. I was a couple of months into my sophomore year. Um, so suddenly, Tim, I was 15 years old and I had a lot of time on my hands. And 15 year olds with time don't always use it wisely. Um, pretty soon the police were coming by my parents' house with uh, some frequency. And eventually I got put in front of a judge. And the judge kind of, to give you the, the 
the chronology. This was 1977. The judge kind of looked me up and down and he said to me, green or orange? Yeah, I had a, I had a look like that. Like, what are you talking about? And he read my look and he clarified and he said, Mr. Harris, I'm giving you a choice of what you can wear next week. And suddenly it occurred to me that orange is the color you wear in prison. And of course, green belongs to the army. So um, I said, green, please. And uh, went, went, went off to the army. I was a little bit underage, but uh, this was right after the end of the Vietnam War and military was having trouble making its recruiting quota. So they were, you know, somewhat forgiving. And um, recruiting sergeant helpfully stepped out of the um, out of the office to for a smoke break and left the photocopier unattended so I could adjust my birth certificate. Um, so away I went, and to my surprise and probably everybody else who knew me, um, I prospered. I I did really well. I got promoted quickly, um, and eventually I got put in a position where I need a needed a college degree that of course I didn't have. Um, or a high school diploma for that matter. So the army sent me to college. Um, and I finished that and uh, was back working and I actually broke my back. I was in a, a Jeep accident and I broke my back and I had a, a year when I couldn't really do much physically. So you know, after some discussion, they sent me back to do my master's. And I finished my master's degree and I, I served out the rest of my time um, in, uh, 1987, I became a long haired civilian and, uh, went to work for a bank and didn't last very long. You know, this, the, this bank, and I think probably you could say this about most banks, they just insisted on making the same mistakes over and over again. I was, I was doing investigation there and, uh, I quit one day, 1989, I was sitting at home and, uh, bored silly, you know, this is before there was a PVR or. Um, you know, Netflix or anything like that. I mean, what you what you got to watch in August was exactly what the networks chose to give you, which wasn't a lot. So I was sitting there watching TV bored and my phone rang. And when I answered it, it was a guy I'd been in high school with in my uh, quick trip there who had become a dentist. And he said to me, David, I think my front desk person's stealing from me and I really don't have anyone else to call. So his timing was perfect. Like I say, I was just climbing the walls. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll come to your practice tonight after you close and we'll, we'll get to the bottom of it. So I went to his practice and this is before practice is computerized. So it was the old pegboard system that people used to use. And basically there was a, a card called a ledger card for each patient that showed how much money they owed. And uh, I, I, I got there and this guy kind of shoved a, uh, a tray full of these cards at me. I said, no, we're going to go at this a little bit differently. Um, show me where she works. So he took me to her desk and I started going through her desk. Well, of course, my, my friend's going bug eyed and, you know, like, can you do this? Well, yeah, I can. It's not actually her desk. It's your desk. It's just, you know, she, she uses it when she works for you. Uh, so I started going through her desk and um, after a minute or two, I found what we call in the trade, her cheat book. So this is where, you know, and when, when thieves start corrupting the records of a practice, they have to keep track of what's real and what's fiction. So now it's more likely to be an Excel spreadsheet, but in those days it was uh, like a, you know, a grade school notebook. So I found taped under one of her drawers, the cheat book. And once I had that, the whole thing unraveled pretty fast. 
um, he'd he'd lost about thirty five thousand dollars, which was which was big numbers then. And he wasn't happy about the loss, but he was glad that I could I could wrestle it to the ground quickly. So he hit me up for one more favor. He said, "Can you come back in the morning?" because I'm going to fire this woman and I don't feel like doing that by myself. Okay. I'll, 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 I'm pretty sure I'll be bored tomorrow to let me, let me come back in the morning. So we got that done. My friend promised to buy me dinner that I'll mention I'm still waiting for. Um, and I, I, I walked away kind of shrugging my shoulders and thinking, all right, that was interesting, but I didn't really see a career. Two weeks later, uh, that changed in a hurry. And what happened was I had an appointment at my own dentist office and I was about to go in. I had my hand on his door and I looked through the glass in his door and sitting at my dentist's front desk was the same woman I helped fire two weeks ago at my friend's office. What I said next, I will not repeat on your G rated show. Um, yeah, I, I sprinted to a payphone because you know, in 1989, you just didn't carry a cell phone around. Um, called the practice, used a little bit of deception and, to get past the gatekeeper and talk to my dentist. And when he picked up the phone, what I said to him verbatim was, because um, I what I did was I identified myself as a local orthodontist when, when she answered the phone as a way of getting put through to my dentist. So when, when he picked up the phone, I said, it's not Dr. Jensen, I'm David Harris. I'm the guy who's supposed to be in your chair right now, but let me explain why I'm not. And I told him about the time bomb that was sitting at his front desk and he panicked and hired me. And that was my first client. By the time I finished his work, the local Henry Shine rep realized what I was doing. And he had a couple of other dentists he had concerns about. And suddenly, Tim, I was in business. Wow. So that's how it started. Um, wow. You know, uh, you, you talk about lightning striking. That was it. Wow, that that's amazing, and and going back to that that statistic you mentioned, right? Seven out of ten, right? Approximately is is what we see, and right in in that first case that that you mentioned, why was the doctor even suspecting that that something was going on? Are there are there some usual signs of of activity or, or something that that usually triggers a doctor to say, you know, something's not adding up? There certainly are. There are really two kinds of warnings. The first ones are financial ones. And what triggered this doctor was a financial warning and it was a patient complaining about their bill. Hmm. Um, the other kind of warning signs are behavioral. And a lot of times the, they're, they're the ones that get people caught. You know, they, the American Dental Association did a study where this question was kind of peripherally asked. And what came out of the study was 68% of embezzlement was detected by behavior. And 32% by some kind of financial irregularity. Now, now right, you, you say a patient complaining by their about their bill. And the first thing that hits me is like, that's probably not that unusual, is it? Well, it's unusual when the complaint goes to the doctor. Ah, okay. Most of the time when patients complain to the bill about their bill, they're complaining to the embezzler. Mm. So that's not, you know, that's not going to get them caught. Okay. But in, in, in this case, a patient said something to the doctor in the operatory. Ah, uh, that prompted the doctor to dig in a little bit deeper. So, so it really was just kind of a random comment from the patient mentioning it to the doctor that helped the doctor to think, Hey, something's probably going on here. Absolutely. And that's really common. Um, 
you know, the overwhelming majority of embezzlement is caught by what I would broadly call dumb ass luck. Hmm. You know, where some unexpected chance occurrence causes the embezzlement to come out as, a, as opposed to kind of the planned operation of somebody's systems. Um, another example, a, a pretty big embezzlement I worked on early in my career came to light when the thief broke her leg skiing one weekend. And Monday morning, for the first time anybody could remember, she wasn't in the office. Mm. And one of the receptionists got three phone calls from patients, which were the same kind of thing about their bills. And after the third call, she went into uh, the senior doctor's operatory, took him out of it and said, yeah, there's something weird here. And he called me. Wow. And that was about $600,000 that this woman had taken, which was huge in 1991. Wow. Now, now in a little bit, I want to touch on some protection strategies in, in being proactive, but it really sounds like the majority of cases are like what you said, they're just, they're randomly caught because there are no procedures or, or practices or systems in place to identify these things. So it is that random comment or, or the patient saying something, or, you know, you look at your bank statement and you're like, why is there less money here? And so, so it sounds like a lot of it is just being caught randomly instead of proactively. Uh, no question. I mean, I think, I think that very fact is an indictment of doctor systems. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, though, is that we shouldn't ignore the behavioral clues. And when we talk about those, I mean, let's let's make it more concrete. What kind of things are we talking about? Well, um, a lot of thieves are reluctant to take vacation. And I mentioned the woman who sort of was on an involuntary vacation because she broke her leg. And that's when the, the wheels came off her wagon. Um, a lot of thieves like to do their stealing when they're alone in the office. So they'll organize their schedules, you know, they'll get there before everybody else, or they'll stay after the rest of the, the, the team leave, or they'll kind of quietly slip into the practice on a weekend. Um, the one thing that can terrify a, a, a thief is the word consultant. Mm. So we get a fair number of calls from consultants and they always go the same way. You know, David, I've been a consultant for five years, 10 years, whatever. Um, and you know, I understand that not every staff member is overjoyed to see me walk through the front door, but I'm working in one office right now. And the pushback I'm getting is well beyond the sort of normal resistance to change. And I'm wondering what's behind it. Hmm. Um, you know, so that's, that's another behavioral thing. Um, the other thing I'll say is thieves process differently. So let's say you and I are walking down the street in your town and we see somebody's wallet fall out of their pants in front of us. You know what, what most people do is they stoop down, they pick up the wallet, they walk a little faster and they go back to whoever dropped it and said, sorry, your wallet fell on the ground. And a thief may end up doing that too, but they're going to ask a couple of questions before they do that you might not. Like, hmm, I wonder if anybody else saw that wallet fall. I wonder how much money's in it based on those answers, their behavior may be the same as yours. On the other hand, they may decide, well, you know, okay, there's money in this wallet. Nobody saw it fall. I'll just, uh, I'll just keep it for me. Hmm. Wow. Well, right. Let's talk a little bit about the, the why people embezzle, right? In your experience, right. Are there some common reasons employees embezzle? Yeah. In a broad sense, there are there thieves, steal for one of two reasons, which are need and greed. Hmm. 
And needy thieves have something happening in their lives that stresses their family finances. So if you, if you want the classic case, Tim, think of the economics of divorce. Mm. And you start with two incomes supporting one household. And from that, you evolve to two incomes supporting two households and throw in a bunch of attorney bills. And suddenly, you know, the, the comfortable living that, that people had before is upset. And uh, sometimes in that situation, people steal. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe a uh, spouse lost his job. You know, there, there are lots of potential triggering factors, but it's a case where they just can't make the family books balance each month and somebody's stealing to fill that hole. And then you have greedy thieves and they're, they're a little bit different. I mean, there's, they, they feel like society undervalues them hmm. and they're stealing what they think they should be paid in the first place. Um, and you know, a lot of these people will look at their doctor as basically this um, lovable, high functioning moron with good hands. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I know it's a huge oversimplification. Yeah. And if I if I were in the audience, I might bristle at somebody describing me that way. But that's that's the picture a lot of thieves have. And in their worldview, the only reason that doctor is successful is because I keep her chair full. And then when patients leave it, I make sure they pay. Hmm. And, you know, they, they can sort of talk themselves into a an otherwise unrecognized partnership with the doctor, at least in their minds. So they kind of convince themselves that they're entitled to this money and then they take what they've what they've convinced themselves they're entitled to. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. So so it's really like you said, it's need and greed that are driving these things. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you know, the the way you can differentiate those two is how they spend the money. I mean, the the needy people pay the rent. Or they, you know, they put gas in the car. The greedy people um, you know, buy designer clothes or they um, buy front row concert tickets or, uh, you know, they buy that car that they could never afford on their salary. Okay. And so, so those are little clues too. If all of a sudden the employee starts showing up with things they probably can't afford, that could be a sign that something's going on. It could be, you know, we, we should be a little cognizant that we don't necessarily know everything about our, our, our people's finances, you know, and sometimes I've, I've had calls where there was suspicion, but you know, what it turned out was, um, you know, somebody got an inheritance from, from their distant uncle or something like that. You know, there was something else that the doctor didn't know about. Okay. But, so but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing generally with your point that, that yeah. living beyond your means is definitely a warning sign. Well, but I mean, I, I think that also raises a, an interesting question of, Right. How do you, you know, be proactive and have your eyes open, but not necessarily be overburdening either and accusing where you shouldn't be accusing? Because I'm guessing there's a balance in there somewhere. Well, the first thing I'll say is I think a lot of dentists don't know their staff as well as they should. Hmm. And, you know, it's interesting when you when you look at a dental office and you look at what happens at lunchtime. You know, let's assume the whole office closes for lunch. Doctor goes in their private operatory and they or the private office and they go on their computer and they, you know, they check the stock market or they surf porn or whatever, you know, whatever they do at lunchtime. And uh, the, the staff all go in the break room together. And, you know, it creates that insularity where the doctor is not, you know, the, the doctor's only interaction with staff happens 
during work, you know, when there's a subject matter called a patient. Um, one thing I say to dentists is once a week, maybe twice a week, have lunch with your team. Hmm. And, you know, you might have to bribe them with food a little bit if they find this kind of creepy at first, because it's different than your pattern. But make a point of sitting there in the break room with them for 40 minutes. You know, the, the, the stock market will wait and get to know them as people. And then if you do that for a while, you'll understand who's um, got their eye on that new house. You know, maybe even the offer's been accepted, but they're not sure if they can qualify for the mortgage. And you'll know, you know, who's, whose husband is off work because, um, you know, they had a workplace accident or whatever. And you'll, you'll, you'll start to have a much better picture of what's driving your team. Wow. So really just something as simple as, as getting to know your team and sitting down with them once a week or every other week, that can be a protection strategy just by getting to know your team. And actually, we've got some viewers watching and liking. If you've got questions for David, just go ahead and put those below and we'll we'll ask them live. So if you've got questions on your practice or how you can protect yourself, just go ahead and put those below. We'd be happy to, to answer them. So David, talking about protection strategies, right? We, we mentioned getting to know your staff. Are, are there some other safeguards that can be put in place to protect your practice against embezzlement? Absolutely, there are. You know, and I, I could I could talk for hours on this topic, but I'll keep it fairly tight. Um, the first thing is, one thing that dentists in general do a terrible job of is pre-employment screening. Um, dental practices, mo most dentists thoroughly despise hiring staff. And, you know, when, when you feel that way about a job, you try to make it as quick and painless as possible. And you don't do things that are going to prolong your agony like pre-employment screening. But um, I'll, I'll give your audience a really sobering statistic, Tim. 70 million Americans, which is one in four adults, has a criminal record. Wow. So even failing to do basic things like a criminal records check create a huge exposure to a practice. Hmm. And not just to embezzlement. I mean, you know, that's also the child molester, the... Uh, you know, the, the, the axe murderer, the shoplifter, whatever, who you're about to hire. Um, so criminal records check is part of it, but there's a lot more to pre-employment screening than that. You know, um, speaking with former employers, um, if somebody's in a position where they handle money, checking their credit status. Uh, if you can do it, checking their driving record is a really good idea because one thing we've noticed about thieves is that a lot of them have huge amounts of motor vehicle violations hmm. and it's, it's stupid stuff, you know, driving without a seatbelt or, um, you know, expired license plates or something like that. I think where it comes from is that a lot of embezzlers have the belief that the rules that apply to the rest of society don't, don't also apply to them. Mm. And, you know, check with your HR advisors before you start doing this, because there are some definite issues with, um, getting a driving abstract as, as part of a pre-employment screening. But if you can do it in a specific situation, you often learn a lot about somebody by how they handle themselves behind the wheel. Wow. 
That's fascinating. So I, I know in the world of, of, of hacking and computer systems, right, there's the, the white hat hackers, the, the hackers that you hire to come in and try to bust your system and, and find the vulnerabilities. Does that kind of thing exist within the embezzlement world too? Is, is bringing someone in to really look at those systems and kind of stress test where well, the weaknesses are? It's funny you should ask that. We do two things in, in, at Prosperity at my company. The first thing we do is, and what we're best known for, is what we call our reactive services. So that's where somebody reaches out to us and says, you know, I think or I've caught my staff member stealing red-handed and now I need you to investigate and see what's really going on. So that's the first thing we do. The second thing we do is proactive work. Hmm. And the idea here is very simple. It's to um, close the loopholes in a practice before an embezzler gets there first. Um, and it, it's no different, Tim, than if you were a dentist and I was your patient. And I said to you, Dr. McNeely, I want to spend the least money in my lifetime on my teeth. What should I do? And your answer would be brush and floss like crazy and see our hygienist every six months, because the cost of doing those three things is a whole lot less than the cost of me fixing what's going to break if you neglect them. Um, and I'll say exactly the same thing here. Prevention is much, much, much better than the cure. So mm -hmm. we offer that service where we will find the weaknesses, help train the doctor in financial oversight because they all say the same thing to us. There's nowhere to learn that. We didn't get it in school. There's no, you know, there's no course. There's no book. We will sit there with a doctor looking at, at their software together, help them decide what reports they need understand what's in those reports, you know, what constitutes an outlier, what, what do you do when you find that outlier? And, and they all say, yeah, we, you know, I've been practicing for 15 years and this is the first time anybody's done this with me. Yeah. Wow. And, and do you cover some of these things in your book, Healer versus Stealer? We do. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good information there. So the, the, the book's called Healers versus Stealers, How to Outsmart the Thief in Your Practice. And it's available on Amazon and through lots of other fine booksellers. Um, it's my second book. The, the first one was a little bit skimpier, um, Healers versus Stealers, which I just happen to have here. Um, it's about 300 pages. And, you know, it deals with a lot of situations. For example, there's a chapter on orthodontists because the way that orthodontists get stolen from is a little bit different than, say, a general dentist or a pediatric dentist. Um, there's a chapter on DSOs because... Again, the, the theft patterns in DSOs are, are a little bit different than what would happen in an owner-operated practice. So it, it, it deals with some situations. There's a lot of the book that is devoted to hiring and how not to hire somebody who's done this before. And I mean, that feels like that's kind of the most obvious step is don't hire the thief in the first place. <laughs> it, it, it's so true. Um, the, the only problem with that is that, you know, there are serial embezzlers who will uh, victimize yes. more than one practice. In fact, the, the most extreme one I saw hit 15 different practices over about a 20 year period. Oh my word. She, she was like the energizer bunny of, of embezzlement. Um, but the other danger is the long-term employee who wakes up one morning and says, okay, I'm 57 years old. Uh, there's no pension plan here. I'm not really comfortable with the amount I have in my 401k. And, you know, I better be like the squirrel starting to hide some nuts for winter. And we, we see a lot of people who are working in a practice for 15 plus years 
and then one day they start stealing. So the the hiring is is essential and um, one of the easiest, cheapest protections you can have, but it's not a complete solution. The other thing that dentists do or should do is what we call financial oversight. Um, you know, and, and to make it as simple as I can, every practice has practice management software. The software tracks three things. Fees, in other words, what was charged to the patient, adjustments, and payments. And payments are the amount that come in according to practice management software. And very simply, payments should equal deposits. And there are two kinds of dentists, Tim. There are those who sit there at the end of each day with their report and they go to their online banking and they make sure that the right amount went into the bank. And then there's the other 85%. If you're in that 85%, stealing mm -hmm. is easy. If you don't know how much money should be going into the bank account today and I'm your office manager, it is the easiest thing in the world for me to just peel away some of your deposit and keep it myself. Hmm. And I don't have to do anything exotic in your software. I just divert money. So if $32,000 was collected today, but I can get away with depositing $31,200, then I just put $800 in my pocket. Wow. Um, it, so that oversight part, and we cover that in a lot of detail in my book. And we also work extensively with, with dentists when we work with them one-on-one -on, -one on that topic hmm. um, is so important. And the good news, the, the thing probably that people don't realize is it takes a lot less time than they think if you do it right. Yeah, that was going to be my next question for you is, is so often we think these things take a lot of time and effort, right? Because you got to monitor and check deposits and, and look at all these things. And so, you know, what is the time commitment to, to get these things set up and, and, and monitor everything? Well, the first thing I'll say about that oversight is if you want it to be, it could be zero. Um, because what what has to happen for for the reconciliation calculation is mechanical. I mean, it could be done by your 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 son in college. Hmm. There's nothing about that that requires a dentist. There are other parts of monitoring that require not only dental knowledge, but somebody who was there today and knew what happened. But in terms of do deposits equal collections, it's mechanical. So it could be outsourced, not delegated, not to a staff member, because that's kind of like asking the fox if you if if he'd mind holding the keys to the hen house while you go to the gym for an hour. Um, but it, it does not have to be the doctor. The second thing, though, is that we we have this idea that that activity should happen at the end of each day. And that comes from the old pegboard manual systems that, that preceded practice management software, because there really wasn't a good concept of a monthly reporting pegboard. You know, the, the whole mm. focus was tracking each day. So at the end of the day, the doctor would check the deposit against collections and assuming all was good, go home. And that's still the mentality people have. If you want to make this process much, much easier, that's an activity that should be done at the end of each month. In other words, do monthly collections line up with monthly bank deposits? And the, the thing that makes that calculation harder is timing differences. So think about a patient who pays by credit card today. And the practice management software captures that as a payment today. But with most credit card companies, it takes a couple of days for that to, to get in your bank account. So if you're trying to look at 
what happened today, today you can't do it because, you know, there's sort of this unknown piece that won't be settled for a couple of days. On the other hand, when you expand the window and you look at a month at a time instead of a day, mm -hmm. most of those timing differences have self-resolved. I mean, now the only stuff that's kind of confounding you is the transactions that overhang the, the first day of the month and the last day of the month, which is, is a whole lot less as a percentage than what would happen if you look at a day in isolation. Hmm. And it's just less work to do that calculation once than 20 times. Yeah. Um, there's another piece, though, that has to happen when you move this to monthly. And it's called articulation. And when I talk to a dentist about articulation, what they're thinking about is the mandible and the maxilla and how they're supposed to fit. together. Yeah, exactly. How they're supposed to fit together. Um, and this is similar. What, what the articulation calculation says is this. If your practice was open 18 days this month and in your left hand, you have 18 day end reports from your software and in your right hand, you have a month end report. If you totaled up the 18 reports for fees, adjustments, and payments, they should exactly equal the totals on the month end report. If they don't, Tim, what it means is somebody came in after hours and did stuff they didn't want you to see. Hmm. So articulation is a way of making sure that everything that happened this month was seen by you. And it really is as simple as just matching up the, the numbers and making sure they match. Put it on a spreadsheet. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a 10 minute job hmm. for, for somebody to do that. And again, it does not have to be the doctor. It shouldn't be a team member, but you know, if you have a spouse who will do it, if you have a kid in college, if your bookkeeper will, will take this on. You yeah. Know, there's, there's somebody who will do that for you. Hmm. Um, probably for not a lot of money. I mean, you know, hmm. if, if, if it's your son in college, you can just pay them in beer. Yeah. Well, well right. And I love that. Cause I think this starts hitting on just, just having a different thought process about how to think about embezzlement in your practice. You don't have to be in there with the magnifying glass, looking at all the books and everything. You just got to do some high level things to make sure the numbers are, are matching up. Yeah. Now, just before everybody thinks they're free and, you know, they don't have to listen to the rest of this, this presentation, I will mention one thing. The, the way thieves look at the doctor is, does the doctor oversee the, the balancing process that the office manager does? You know, that's the 15% who do and 85% who don't. If the answer to that question is no, then the way I steal is I just divert the deposit as we were talking about. Mm -hmm. How do I steal if the doctor is comparing collections against deposits. I can still do it. It's a little bit harder, but now what I need to do is trick the software into lying about how much money was collected. Mm. And I'm not going to get into details of how that happens, but what I'll say is in any practice management software, it's possible. So you can, you can make the, you can trick the software to under report collections. And that's the, you know, that's the other thing you have to you have to monitor for. In other words, do the do the dollars line up is question number one. And question number two is now that I've put that articulation safeguard in place to make sure that I'm seeing every single transaction that happened this month. Um, do any of them not make sense? Yeah, right. Exactly right. Is there a patient refund that shouldn't have taken place or, or whatever it is? 100% adjustment on, you know, on a patient treatment. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, is there something there that I look at it and say, wait a minute, that, you know, that doesn't make sense. So, so it really seems like there's kind of different levels of protection that you, you want to put in, whether it's starting with the hiring and then looking at the monthly reporting and the articulation and then, you know, even checking the practice management software. So you've got different levels that you want to look at as you're going through this. Is that what I'm hearing? It is. And the, the total time commitment for a doctor to do what we would tell them to do is probably less than two hours a month. Wow. Well, and and, and for those who say, sorry, uh, for those who say, you know, that's not what I signed up for. Um, you know, if you want to be a practice owner, that comes with some responsibility. Yeah. If you don't want that responsibility, that's fine, but don't be a practice owner, be an associate, uh, work for DSO, you know, go to an FQHC or, um, you know, join, join the military. I mean, there are other for, for the dentist who says, I want to be a pure clinical dentist and I don't want to get my hands dirty with any of this stuff. There are plenty of outlets. You just, that's the person who shouldn't be a practice owner. Yeah. Or you need to build the team, the trusted team who's not in the office who can help you do these things. Like you mentioned, maybe it's the bookkeeper or the stunning college or the the spouse, right? A, a trusted advisor. The well, trusted advisor is good. Too, but the, you know, the, the trusted advisor is good, but if you're a business owner, you know, you have to wake up in the morning and say, all right, with, with the privileges that owning a business gives me comes some, some burdens. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I can never switch off from this. I can never say, you know, I've handed that out to somebody, so I don't ever have to think about it again. And I, yeah. I talk to dentists a lot about the difference between delegation and abdication. Mm. And go, go into that difference, because because I think that's an important differentiator for people to understand. Delegation is, Tim, you're my employee or you're you're a, an independent contractor who I outsource to. And I'm giving you this job to do and I'm going to hold you accountable for that. And I'm going to enforce that accountability. And abdication is when I say to you, Tim, here, this is yours. I don't ever want to hear about it again. Hmm. And a lot of dentists abdicate when what needs to happen is delegation. And wow. like I say, if you, if you want to advocate, no problem at all. Just don't do it as a practice owner. Yeah. Well, and even coming back to that, you know, on average about two hours a month, do you have any stats on what the, the average embezzlement from an office ends up looking like in terms of dollar amounts? <laughs> I can be pretty precise on that one. Uh, the last time we looked from our files, it was $109,000. $109,000. That's the I, average. Wow. And so, you know, at, at two hours a month, you know, what is that? That's $55,000 an hour you're, you're, you're saving? That's a little less than that, I think. Yeah. But, you know, because it's two hours a month for your entire career as a practice owner. Okay. But, but it's, that's a pretty good ROI, if you ask me. Yeah. And you know what? The money tells part of the story and not all of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of dentists who are embezzled are mm -hmm. devastated emotionally. Um, we, we did an investigation for a guy last year, probably in his late fifties, he had lost $160,000 roughly um, from it. And once it was all cleaned up, he had a young associate. He turned around to that associate probably five years earlier than his initial plan was. And he sold the practice. And he said, I, you know, I, after 
after that experience, I'm just not enjoying being a practice owner anymore. So, you know, the, the, the emotional um, damage from this can be significant. Oh, I, I would imagine so, because right, oftentimes these are trusted people in your office. They're people you have a relationship with, and right, and there's just that sense of betrayal, uh, and and so the emotional toll, I, I would guess, is probably in some cases harder than the financial toll. Hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. You know, the money you can replace. Yep. The stomach lining is a little bit hard. Right. Yeah, it's a lot, lot harder to to replace that. So I'm I'm Tim McNeely. You've been listening to the the Dental Wealth Nation show. We've been talking with David Harris about embezzlement. And and David, I certainly understand that that it's a much bigger problem than, than we've ever imagined. With seven out of 10, 70 percent of dentists facing embezzlement at some point in their career. And and we've been going through you know some of the ways you can protect yourself from having everything you've worked so hard for from being unjustly taken and. And, you know, we've talked about some of those protection strategies. We've talked about why people embezzle and, you know, even changing the, the thought process. And I, I want to dive in and talk a little bit about some embezzlement myths. Are there some common misconceptions about embezzlement that you'd like to dispel or some things that you hear Dennis say that you're like, that's just not even close to the truth? You froze. Hey there, folks. We got a temporary hang up. We're waiting for David to come back on. It looks like there was a little internet connection issue, but we will be back shortly. Let's just hang out here and wait for him to pop back on here. The beauty of the, the platform is the recording will take place and we can edit this all out. So it's going to work just fine. I'll give him a second to log back in here. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah. Hey, someone was embezzling our internet connection, oh, apparently. Hey, Tim, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. I can hear you. Darn it. Uh, I can't hear you, Tim. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, let's try this real quick. Audio. Yeah, I see my audio coming in. So that's working. 
Hello. Tim? Yes. There. Ha. Sorry, my computer completely froze there. Oh, uh, that's all right. I was just, I was just making a joke. Someone, someone's embezzling was, our internet connection. <laughs> it wasn't something you said. Uh, no, but uh, hey, we'll we'll jump back in. I was talking about some common myths that yeah. you hear. Are, are there some common misconceptions within the the dental practices that that you'd like to like, dispel? All kinds. Um, the first one is when I talk to a lot of dentists about embezzlement, the picture they have is the theft of $20 bills. Hmm. And to be clear, cash is every thief's first choice, but it's certainly not their only choice. I'm not going to get into details here, but I will say that it's not hard to steal checks, to steal credit card payments, or even to redirect electronic funds transfers. So the first thing I'll say is you need to think a little bit broader and the concept that you know, because you have some practices that even stopped taking cash completely in COVID. And they thought that, you know, that would protect them totally against embezzlement. It, it will not. Um, other myths. Um, a lot of people think that there's something that makes them immune. My staff have been with me forever. Or I work in a small town. And really, embezzlement only happens in big cities where you end up hiring people you don't know as well. Or, gee, I'm a specialist and, you know, embezzlement is really something that afflicts those poor general dentists. Or whatever. I mean, people will come up with reasons why they're immune and none of them apply. Hmm. Uh, no thief says, you know, I really want to steal, but I work in an ortho practice and, you know, I, I just can't steal from an orthodontist. Uh, no, it, it, embezzlement happens because somebody who works for you decides that they have more rights to your money than you do. End of story. Hmm. Um, that can happen anywhere. I mean, it has, it has nothing to do with you or your situation. And embezzlement is all driven by a staff member and what they decide to do. Um, other myths. Uh, my accountant, if it was happening, my accountant would catch it. Hmm. Well, right. That feels like a real common and easy assumption to make is, right, my accountant's looking at all these things. I should be safe, right? Yeah, no. Um, first of all, most stealing in dental practices happens on the revenue side. In other words, it's theft of patient payments or insurance payments. Uh, in a lot of other businesses, when theft happens, it happens predominantly on the expense side, you know, payroll. Um or, or um, fraudulent purchases or something like that. And those things happen, but the, the main event in dentistry is revenue side theft. Hmm. Your accountants do not look at that at all. You know, what people don't realize is that unlike most professions, dentistry keeps two sets of books. In other words, there's practice management software that looks after revenue and there's accounting software like QuickBooks or something that looks after expenses. And the two of them, don't talk to each other and the accountants don't have any reason in, the, in, in what they're doing to look at your practice management software. And yet that's where the bodies are buried. Wow. So, so really right. The, the whole accountant myth 
really happens because the accountants are, are seeing the books most likely after the embezzlement has taken place. That's right. Well said. Um, and I can give you some numbers on this. When, when you look at all industries globally, so dentistry, but everything else as well, and you look at how much or you look at how embezzlement is uncovered in, in the whole world, accountants find about 40% of the embezzlement that's ever discovered. Hmm. In dentistry, that number is more like 5%. Wow. Yeah. So wow. they're not your front line of defense. And that's a, that's a very common misbelief. So really, that, that, what, what is the front line of defense then? It's the doctor. Um, and, you know, possibly if they have a bookkeeper or they, they get somebody um, doing some very specific oversight for them, that can constitute part of the front line. But my point is the normal accounting process that your CPA firm goes through at the end of each year is not very likely in dentistry to uncover embezzlement. Wow. So if, if you're a doctor, right, if you're if you're concerned about this as, as well, you should. And you, you take some time to, to implement some, some basic systems. Is this something you, you got to stay up at night worrying about or, or can you have some confidence in the systems that you actually put in your practice? If they're good systems and that's a big if. Mm -hmm. um, but if if you've got good systems, they will go a long way to helping you sleep. Hmm. Um, the, the systems that most practices have, frankly, are terrible. And, you know, I, I look at a, at a, you know, a hypothetical 40 year old dentist now, and they probably bought their practice from somebody who's 25 or 30 years older than they are. So that practice's systems were built in the time before there were computers. They were probably also built at the time when most dentists were male and what their wives did in general was run their office. In other words, the economic interests of a husband and wife, you know, until they decide to get divorced are completely parallel. And a lot of systems were really designed to catch that occasional spouse who couldn't add more so than any kind of dishonesty. Hmm. So the whole premise on which most systems are built is well outdated. Wow. And so, right, just coming back to some some closing thoughts here, right? We, we've got your book, Steelers and Healers. And, and, and give me a walkthrough of your first book and your second book real quick. Um, the, the first book is, um, is is fairly short. It's it's quite light. I mean, if you can't read it in three trips to the bathroom, you probably need a GI consult. Um, and, you know, it's um, it, 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 it's a good superficial treatment of the topic. When I went to write the second book, you know, and, and, and the first one, Tim, was done on a bit of a timetable. In other words, my, my, my marketing people gave me a deadline and said, you know, we need your manuscript by July 1st. So I, I, I did a, you know, it's, it's, it's a good worthwhile book. And as I say, if you want a light treatment of the topic, that's the one. When I did the second book, which took me another three years after the first one to get out, I wrote the book I really wanted to write and I had no time pressure now and I could go back and uh, write it, you know, write a whole lot more detail. So my first book is about 100 pages. My second one's 350. 
and as I say, a lot more detail, a, a lot of um, a lot more kind of procedural. Here's how to whatever you know. Here are the here's here's here are the questions to ask somebody somebody's former employers when you're looking at hiring. Hmm. It's, it's kind of at that level, and I I have to acknowledge some members of my team because um, my name is on the book as the author, but um, the the contribution of several members of our team is pretty significant there. Wow. Well, right. It, it takes a, a team to, to do anything. I certainly learned that doing my first book. It's, it's a lot of effort and a lot of work and uh, you, you need the right people behind you. So, so coming to this problem, right? We know it's a, a widespread problem. 70% of dentists are, 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 will face some kind of embezzlement. What's the awareness of the, the problem and, and how concerned are doctors about this. And I ask that because in, in my industry, we've got this major disconnect between the things that doctors say they're concerned about. They say they're concerned about asset protection. They say they're concerned about tax planning. They, they say they're concerned about transitioning their practice. But then we ask a secondary question, which is, well, have you taken any action or consulted anyone on these? And all of a sudden, those numbers are really, really low. So major disconnect between kind of, yeah, I'm concerned about this. I know it's a problem, but no, I haven't done anything about it. So do you find that's the same with dealing with embezzlement and, and really putting systems and processes in place in the practice also? Definitely. I mean, con being concerned is free. Mm -hmm. Acting on those concerns tends to cost money. Yeah. So the 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 first one is a lot easier to say yes to than the second one hmm. uh, and we get exactly the same thing you know when i when i speak to dentists in um in live audiences one of the questions i tend to ask them is you know would you like to contact us would you like us to contact you about protecting your practice and a, a good proportion of them will say yes um the proportion of that group who will do anything is pretty small because saying yes is free um, but there's there's some cost both in in monetary outlay and also in their time and mental energy to doing something. Yeah. Wow. Well, b based on this conversation, I'd prefer to have you in my practice before something happens, not after. I, I I'd prefer to pay that first cost instead of the second one. You know, we had uh, one one of our victims who is an orthodontist who lost three hundred and eighty thousand dollars to his office manager. When I asked him one day, and he, he was nice enough to record a video on this, I, we, we had the video on him. And, and the question was, um, you know, if you were going to give advice to another dentist to, based on your experience, what would it be? And what he said, and I'll, I'll quote him as close to verbatim as I can. You're not going to get your money back. You're not going to get your sleep back. Just put the safeguards in place to prevent this. Wow. Now, I'll modify what he said a little bit. Everybody who's stolen from gets some of their money back it's a minority who get it all back. So I think what he's saying is, you know, you're going to be out of pocket at some amount. Um, but yeah, just put the safeguards in place, do it. That was, wow. that was his advice to every dentist. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's very, very sound advice, right? It's almost like winning a litigation, right? You can go win a court case, you can get a big old judgment from someone, but collecting on it's a whole other problem. Yeah, and that's that's one of the impediments to to getting your money back. I mean, most of the people who are stealing your money are at least as good at spending it as they are at stealing. Yep. Now, every, one thing uh, you you were asking about myths. Um, another thing most dentists don't realize is that they all have insurance coverage for this. 
Um, unfortunately, it tends to be a modest amount, but almost every dentist has $25,000 of insurance coverage. So if you've been stolen from, that's assuming the, the proper groundwork is done, that's pretty easy to get back. Hmm. You know, if somebody took a hundred thousand from you, getting the other seventy-five thousand may um, be harder. But the first twenty-five is pretty easy to get. So wow. almost everybody who's been stolen from will be cash positive at the end of at the end of our work. Yeah. Wow. So David, how can we get in touch with you? How can doctors find you? Well, uh, the easiest place probably is our website, which is www.prosperident. P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-D-E-N-T dot com. Or they can call us at 888-398-2327. So 888-398-2327. Those are the best ways. We're, we're happy to talk to any dentist who says, I have concerns or I want to protect myself or um, I just want to make sure that it's not happening. You know, we, we can deal with any of those things. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's such an important topic. So, you know, I, I, I find that in my world, there, there's five chief concerns that the, the doctors have. Number one is they want to make smart choices with their money. Number two, they want to mitigate their taxes. But the third biggest concern they have is they want to make sure their assets aren't unjustly taken through theft or some other unjust means. Then they want to get the estate planning, take care of the next generation. And then about a third of them are very charitably inclined. But the third biggest problem, the third biggest concern they have is asset protection. And that's why what you do is so important. And thank you for being dentistry's crime fighter and getting out there and, and helping to, to not just solve the problems, but also prevent them. And, and that's so important. And so before we sign off here, any closing thoughts? I will quote a former president. Trust, but verify. Hmm. Well said. And, and actually, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that closing thought because I think it's so powerful. And that, that, that's another lesson. So I, I've studied the, the super rich quite a bit. I don't have any super rich clients, but I want to learn from super rich. And, and when I say super rich, I'm talking people with a net worth north of half a billion dollars. And they establish family offices. They build a team of the best, the best individuals. And one of these things that these family offices do on a regular basis, actually every about three to four years, is they run a stress test of their plans. They want to make sure it's going to deliver as promised. And just like you said, they want to trust, but verify. And so I, I think those are words of wisdom, David. Well, I'm glad to hear the billionaires agree with me. That's tremendously reassuring. They, they absolutely do. And they, they do it on a regular basis. In fact, they find it strange if they're not stress testing things. And so, well, hey, thank you again for sharing so generously. And such an important topic. And, and I would encourage you, if you're listing this right, being concerned about something is free. Taking action does take a little bit of cost, both in your time and money, but a little bit of prevention can go a long, long way. So so protect yourself, protect the what you've worked so hard for. David, thank you again for being an amazing guest. It was my pleasure. Thanks for All having right. me. We'll see you again here soon on the Dental Wealth Nation show. 
You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at dentalwealthnation.com. 